morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Weekly for Saturday, September 30th, 2023. And our top story today is the outlook darkening for the stock market. And joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Jane King is a financial journalist joining us from the NASDAQ. Jane, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Yep, always great to be here, Jeffrey. Yeah, well, it's always great to tap into your knowledge and wisdom, and you are in the trenches over at the NASDAQ. Uh, let me ask you, just be point blank, is a dark cloud ascending over the U.S. stock market? Well, September certainly lived up to its bad reputation. Um, worst month of the year, it typically is. And boy, that was true to form this year. The NASDAQ down about 6%. So um, tech stocks really got hit hard. Just a lot of nervousness in the market about a government shutdown. I tell you, the thing that kind of um, bought, got my attention was consumer spending weekend in the second quarter of this year. So around the spring, and that was the one thing that was really kind of propping everything else up for months and months and months and probably helping us avoid a recession. But if consumers are going to start pulling back on spending because of high credit card debt or resumption of student loans, things like that, um, I mean, that could be the crack that maybe sends us into a recession. So we'll see. Um, things typically always look negative in September. So we'll see what October brings. Yeah, really good point on that. And and uh, I read somewhere I think U.S. credit card debt was like at a trillion dollars. I think it's it's unbelievable because we talked during the pandemic on how people had saved so much money and they weren't going out, obviously. They were maybe ordering some food, but for the most part, they're putting that away. It yeah. seems, Jane, that pandemic saving, savings has evaporated. Pretty much all gone. Um, there was just, I think it was a Federal Reserve study that the bottom 80% of earners have depleted their entire pandemic savings. So um, yeah, I mean, we, you know, things opened up again and people wanted to travel and uh, go out and eat brunch and all that kind of stuff. And so, and not go back to work that quickly either, if you remember right, there were a lot of people who didn't want to go. So, I mean- They still know, don't want to, they still, Jane, Jane, they still don't want to go back to, to, <laughs> to work. I mean, they want to work, but they want to work in their in their pajamas and just yeah, wear a shirt yeah. like I'm wearing because I'm wearing jeans. I, I, I don't know if the audience knows it, but I'm I don't jeans. know how they're going to resolve this remote work thing. I mean, it's probably going to have to be market driven at some point, and companies are going, you know, individual companies, company by company basis, are going to have to say, look, you know, you want this job, you got to come back. I mean, Amazon CEO just recently said, if you don't want to come back to the office, this won't work out well for you. I think was what he said. So um, I think. Company that's, by company, he's going to have to figure it out. That's like, so I just finished The Sopranos again, and that sounds like something Tony might say. <laughs> uh, Jane, I we did a story last week with Bankrate on um, uh, holiday shopping starting around Halloween, which totally surprises me. Is that going to be our first bellwether to see how consumer spending for the holidays? Because, you know, everyone talks about Black Friday, but everyone keeps on, you know, the, the holidays keep on starting earlier and earlier, now it's Halloween. So is that our first bellwether to see how some of these companies target Walmart, um, Amazon, of course, and others are gonna be doing? I've heard some retailers will even look at back to school as an early, early indicator for how the holiday shopping season is going. They feel like if back to school is strong, then people are feeling confident that might carry us through the end of the year. And back to school was pretty decent. Electronics didn't sell as well because everybody kind of stocked up on those over the past couple of years. Um, but it was decent. Um, but I'm, I am kind of hearing that 
Um, it may not be a record-breaking year. We may not see huge gains, but a solid kind of steady holiday shopping season. That's what National Retail Federation and others are saying. Yeah, I remember back to school. My mom, we used to get a backpack. I used to get a pencil case. Yeah. And then, yeah. do you remember the Trapper Keeper, Jane? I do. I wonder if they still make that. Do you know if they still make that? <laughs> My kids are like in school, but I mean, I think they do like the big, yeah, they, they have something similar. I don't know if they call it a trapper keeper, but the kids, still, I mean, it's surprisingly old school. They still have pencils and erasers and notebooks and, you know, they still kind of do all those traditional things. Yeah, they, they print things out. And we used to say, I used to work at, at a major financial services firm and we would always tout that we were paperless. And yeah, one yeah. of my coworkers would say, we are paperless, but not paper free. It seems like today's students still have some paper in their book bags. Jane, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks and we look forward to there. talking to you again Thanks. next week. Talk to you then. Thanks, Jane. Great to see you. Thanks for sharing your perspective. When we come back, we'll take a look at some of our best segments for the week. I want to stay tuned right here on BRN Weekly. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Welcome back. It was another great week of shows with great topics. Of course, great guests. We kicked off the week with a look at how mortgage rates are rising and its impact on residential real estate. Let's take a look. We've we've hit numbers over 7%, which is, uh, you know, I mean, that's the highest it's been in a very long time. So that is absolutely having an impact on the housing market. Uh, well, I'd, I'd like to say we're better, but uh, we're not. So uh, the most recent numbers from the National Association of Realtors show uh, sales down about 15%. Unfortunately, prices still going up up um, about 4% and the average home price is over 400,000 nationally. So, and the inventory problem, you and I talk about it every time, it's at about 3.3 months. That's about half of what it should be for a normal market. So you've still got this issue and especially with mortgage rates so high, 
there is very little incentive for someone who, even if they want to move, if they've got a, you know, a 3% mortgage and they have to go to a, a six or a seven, they don't want to do that. This is still the case. So first time buyers uh, in August responsible for about 29% of sales. So that's, that's still pretty good. And some of that, uh, it's, turns out that a lot of those boomers are helping their children get those down payments. So that 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 is some of the benefit here. Well, it's very city specific. You know, it was up and down during the pandemic. It's stabilized on the high end. Uh, one of the issues in some cities is we are seeing a little bit of oversupply. So there's a lot of investment in multifamily. So in some markets, uh, Dallas, for example, there's a little bit of oversupply, especially at the high end. But at the lower end, there is still absolutely a need for affordable rentals, and there and there are not enough of them. With it, you know, it's it's both because with inventory so low, sometimes buyers have to take what they can get, but. Buyers also want, they still want an open floor plan. They still want all of those appliances. It's interesting on the new home market, one of the things that uh, KB Home, they recently reported earnings that they're seeing is people want, the, they, they're willing to compromise a little bit on the size of the home, but they still want a certain number of bedrooms, partly because uh, a lot of people are still working from home. You'd think that would be true, and I'd like to see more people go for condos, but, uh, you know, the whole idea of a home of one's own uh, continues to be really popular. It's one of the reasons on the rental side that you have that that strong demand for single-family rentals. People want people want the backyard. They may not want the maintenance to some extent, but they, but they still want that traditional house. And we also took a look at rising interest rates and their impact on stable value funds. Let's take a look. Yeah, so a stable value fund is really a fund that focuses on offering a steady level of income um, through capital preservation and also looking to meet liquidity needs. So it's a conservative option. It's only available in defined contribution plans or plans like a defined contribution plan. You can't find a stable value mutual fund. It really exists for these purposes. And for a long time, it was the most conservative and kind of bedrock option of defined contribution plans. So a typical stable value fund um, has got bonds or fixed income securities underneath it. Uh, that's right. There And there are a lot of different approaches to this. So um, we can talk about what's in a commingled stable value fund, uh, but we'll get into, I think, a little later on the different approaches to stable value where the answers to what's in it might be a little different. But in kind of a baseline standard commingled fund, it may not be all that different than what you would find in a bond fund. Uh, probably not as long as like an intermediate type mandate of a total return fund, uh, but certainly a mixture of shorter to intermediate term fixed income securities. And when we're talking about fixed income securities, in stable value, you can expect uh, higher quality, typically not only just government bonds, but higher quality mortgage securities and corporate securities, you know, with a mixture perhaps of some other securities uh, around the edge of some different sectors within fixed income space. Um, but typically the insurance company is going to have some parameters that look to a certain level of quality from a rating standpoint. Um, and give some constraints to make sure that this is a more conservative type portfolio. Well, Jeff, I'm glad you brought up the inverse relationship because uh, as much as we all 
understand that, it still always bears repeating that when a stock goes up, uh, excuse me, when a bond goes up, uh, the yield goes down. When an interest rate goes up, the price of that bond goes down. And that interest rate uh, versus the price discrepancy really has a big impact on stable value. Because in a rising interest rate environment, your bonds are more likely to go down in price um, because that yield has to go up to match what's going on in, uh, in the current market. Now in stable value, when the yields are going up and the bonds are going down, your market value of the underlying securities is going down, right? Makes sense. So that can happen in the bond fund too. But because of this insurance wrap, that guarantee, there's a book value associated with stable value. And that book value by design, according to the guarantee, is supposed to continue to go up every day, a little bit. And so if the book value keeps going up, but the market value goes down, now you have a discrepancy. Uh, and in a stable value fund, if the market value is less than your book value, it's also called the market to book ratio, um, that means in the theoretical environment where everybody wanted to get all their money out at the same time at book value, there's some shortfall that would need to be made up by the insurance company. And so clearly, if the market value falls below the book value, there has to be some parameters around what goes on so that nobody is left holding the bag. Finish up the thought. So if you think about that, that difference between the market value and the book value needs to be made up at some point over time. Um, and that can happen in various ways. Uh, it can happen by having a lower what's called crediting rate, which is like a yield, but it's specific to stable value. Um, and you wait for that to work its way out over time. Um, or the market value starts to change, interest rate di dynamics start to change, so that ultimately that market value and the book value start to converge. And maybe at some point you get to a, a healthier stable value dynamic where that market value is higher than the book value. It, it's a great question and a great point to focus on right now. So a common feature of a commingled stable value fund is the ability for a plan sponsor to exit the funds at book value um, following some waiting period. So those waiting periods may vary, but you can say that 12 months is a fairly typical waiting period uh, in today's marketplace. And so the way that would work is for a commingled stable value fund, a uh, plan sponsor would notify uh, their existing manager that we intend to take the money out. And then 12 months later, they'd be able to move, uh, move the assets to a new stable value provider. Um, 12 months is not immediate, but it's also not such a long period either so that with a certain amount of planning, um, you do have the ability if you're a plan sponsor uh, to be somewhat, if not fairly portable with a commingled stable value fund. Now I will say here, it's vitally important to understand what kind of stable value product 
you have if you were a plan sponsor, because not every stable value product is a commingled fund. There's another type of stable value offering that is an insurance general account product. And so these products will have a crediting rate. It increases their book value. It's very similar to a commingled fund. But the underlying holdings are held on the balance sheet of an insurance company. And so that's a difference. Again, everyone is going to be a little different, but as a typical example, um, following a plan sponsor's notice to a general account product, assets could be paid out over a five-year period with, as an example, let's say 20% annually. So if you have that type of situation, it becomes a lot less portable. And if you're a plan sponsor, it may be very difficult to even exercise that option because you would be getting only a portion of the fund every year, which means that something would have to happen to those assets that you get, which means that a plan administrator may actually have to administer two stable value options as part of that plan. That's an added layer of complexity. So, um, you know, that is, is a very big consideration on portability. Now, the final point I note is a plan sponsor could always say, uh, you know, we're just going to take our money. But they would take it at market value, not at book value. And so if you do that, in today's environment, there's a shortfall between market value and book value. And so someone would have to make up that shortfall. And so that would be something a plan sponsor would have to focus on very intently uh, because they almost certainly would not want to just forego the guarantee and accept the shortfall. That kind of negates the whole point of having stable value in the first place. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Weekly. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more and all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Post. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content? We'll visit our website. We're back again tomorrow with another edition of BRN Sunday. I'll be joined by the Schwab Network's Oliver Rennick, and then we'll be taking a look back at one of our best segments recently on the network. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device.